Good morning. It's lovely to be here and great thankful to be standing before you again. Um, I would just add, if I may, before I start, please um, remember Pastor and the wider family. Always remember the wider family in your prayers. He's very good at sort of standing at the front and telling us to pray for this and pray for that and remember this person, remember that person. He's very bad about asking for prayers himself if he's watching online and looking at you right now. So please do... Whenever the opportunity should arise, keep him in your prayers this week. And, of course, Joe and, and Eve and Hannah as well with the various things that are going on. Good. Okay. Um, I wonder, have you ever been disappointed? Well, I don't wonder. I'm sure you have. Disappointed that a situation hasn't turned out the way you wanted it to. Perhaps you're disappointed that a person may have let you down. I don't know. Maybe you're disappointed that I'm standing here this morning instead of pastor. But um, I'll let you take that with me later on. I wonder, though... It's, it's, a sad, it's not a sad fact, it is an actual fact of life that most of us who have come to a faithful understanding of the Lord and are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ's blood understand is being a Christian isn't always easy. It's not always sunshine and roses and everything's wonderful. There's, there's teaching going on out there that's completely wrong. You know, you, you, you become a Christian, all your troubles go away. That's, that's not the case. Life doesn't stop throwing things at you just because you've made a commitment. Sometimes it's hard for us, isn't it, to, to do what we should be doing. You know, especially in the world we live in today, you, you flick the telly on, you immediately feel downcast, disheartened, concerned, worried, I don't know, all the emotions that come with what we see on the world today. Sometimes this seems pointless. Why do we keep on treading this path? Why do we keep on doing the things that God asks us to do? Why do we keep on following the word of God? We all have moments, I'm sure. Everybody must have moments where they say, you know, why God? How? When? What am I doing? We're all good at celebrating when, oh, praise the Lord, I had a really wonderful time or really wonderful week, you know, really up on the mountaintop and it's really going well. We're all good at celebrating that. We might, we might even be really good at saying, you know, things are not so good, but I know my Lord is with me. I know my God is carrying me. And that's a really good thing to be. But there are times in our lives where we say, what on earth is going on? Why am I doing this? Should I be doing this? It's easier sometimes just to do things the way we think they should be done. To run our lives as we see fit and just put God in the corner just for when we can fit him in, just for when it's more convenient for us to bring him into, into our lives. I wonder, you know, if you have been in a situation, you know, Christmas has just gone, and, and you've been out there, and, and you're trying to find the perfect present. I should caveat with this. This has not happened to me. You're trying to find that perfect present for somebody. You're spending ages and ages looking around for that absolute spot-on gift you know they're going to love. You, you take it home, you wrap it up, really lovely, nice ribbon, tinsel, whatever floats your boat. It's really, really nice. And the big day comes, you hand it over, you wait in anticipation for them to open the box, and they say, that's nice, thanks. And they put it on the shelf. Or they put it in the drawer, and it doesn't see the light of day until two-thirds through the month, whatever, whatever it might be. It sounds great, but how does that leave you feeling? It sounds all funny and, and as a joke, but how do you feel when that happens? You know, you just think, what an awful response. What a, what a terrible way to accept a gift. Do you not think that that's an awful thing to do for someone to, to know what you've gone through to get to that point and then just say, thanks, I'll look at it at some point. So what about the perfect 
absolute perfect gift that God has given every single one of us. The gift that's tailored exactly to our own lives. The gift that's tailored to you as an individual. You could, I suppose, be forgiven if you've never really experienced the grace and the forgiveness and all that comes as part of that free gift. I suppose you could be forgiven if you've never really heard of what's on offer. But what if you've opened the box? What if you've seen what's on offer? What if you said, I can do this better my way, thanks, and you put it on the shelf? What, when he has this perfect plan, when he can show you exactly where to go to have the most fulfilling and peaceful life possible, we ignore him. What does he do? I can tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't shout ungrateful. He doesn't show angst or angry towards us. He doesn't leave us on our own and say, fair enough, you don't want me, I don't want you. He's not taking that attitude. He simply looks on the Lord Jesus Christ and says, forgiven. Forgiven. All the anger, all the wrath, everything in response to our sinfulness was poured out onto Christ. And every time we sin against him, it's just another smack with a hammer, nailing those stakes further and further into Christ's hands. Selfishness, people wanting nothing to do with the Lord, feeling they're better off doing things their own way. I said it before, I'll probably say it again, it's really, really not a modern day way of thinking. It's exactly the same thinking that's been happening for years and years and years. It's been born out of evolution almost, I suppose, as people have grown and developed. If you think about it, right from the very first human, go all the way back to Genesis. The very first human that was created, God gave them all this lovely environment, this everything they could possibly need, and what was their response? I can do it better myself. I know better. I'm going to do it my way. But there's always a way back. There's always time to rethink, always time to adjust the path we're walking, always time to, to just move away from where we're at. You may be sat here today and you may be thinking, that's not for me. I'm, I'm too far gone. God could never love a person like me. You might be thinking, well, that's all fine and dandy and that's all in the Bible, I get that, but the Bible's history. It's got no place in today's modern society. But the one thing you can't deny the one thing, everything that's going on in the world today, everything we see, everything we face, is nothing new. There's nothing new in any of it. You might think, oh, you know, there's wars going on. Yes, the mechanisms and the way wars are fought might be different, but the fact that fighting has been happening for years and years and years, nothing, nothing, nothing has taken God by surprise. God is still in control of this world. God is still busy in the world. God is still active in the world. God is still calling us into the world. He's still watching over us. He's still asking us to be part of our lives. He's still waiting for us to let him in. You see, no one, no one without exception is beyond, God, beyond God's grace. No one is too far from his reach. No one, even if they think they are, are beyond redemption through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to understand and think on this because if you haven't 
receive the Lord as your personal saviour. That's not saying I've made a confession. That's not saying I know who Christ is. That's not saying I understand the Bible. That's not saying I come here every Sunday. If you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as a friend, as someone who can impact your life and live next to you in every single thing you do, then please, 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 if you're watching online, drop us a message. If you're in the building, of course, come and see any one of us because that's point 101. That's where it all starts. That's the beginning. We would love to show you how to accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. One thing we should all understand, Satan and sinner alike, and that's you know, the, the devil, whoever you are, it makes no difference where you are with the Lord. The devil is going to kick you down. He's going to knock you down when we're at our most vulnerable, when we're most exposed to the things of the world. That's when he's going to strike, when we're at our lowest point. You know, we, we feel most exposed to sin. That's when he's going to hit us. Yes, we hear time and time again, the devil's like a roaring lion. Absolutely. He's like a roaring lion, ready to attack at any moment. But remember, he's going to kick us when we're down. He's cunning. He's patient. He knows where we're at as much as anybody. And he's going to kick us when we're down. And then he's going to tell us we can't recover. So what then? When we fall short, when we wander off, when we take God's gift and put it on the shelf for us another Sunday, how do we find our way back? How do we work out where we went wrong and move our way back into the right path? Well, that's perhaps when God's grace is at its most, if you will. That's when God shows us his grace at the most appropriate time. You see, we don't have to find our way back. We simply need to turn around. Understand what went wrong. Accept the gift that God has given you. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And then God will come and find us. God will lift us up and put us back on the path that we need to follow. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, um, I'm going to be from Matthew 16. So for context, I'll read the first verse, but I'm actually going to focus on 13 to 18. So I'm going to start at Matthew 16. And I'll start at verse 1, and then I'm going to shift to 13 to 18. So Matthew 16, verse 1. The Pharisees, also with the Sadducees, came and tempting, decided him, desired him that he would shew them a sign from heaven. So that's the Pharisees. And then we move on in, in verse 13. And then it's just with Jesus and his disciples, so for, for context. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, in verse 15, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Sorry, Josh, I forgot I'd turn it on. And Jesus answered and said unto him, sorry, forgive me, and now um, I lost my, some say John the Baptist, some say Elias, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He saith unto him, but who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but thy father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
So this is coming from a situation where you've got, in the first verse of that, of that uh, sort of reading, there, the first verse is the Sadducees of the land. So the Sadducees, the people who keep in the law, the people, the judges of the land, the, I guess the, uh, the police force almost of the day, I suppose. They're asking Jesus to effectively prove who he is by showing them some sort of miraculous sign or some unexplainable achievement. And Jesus goes on then to explain to his disciples, be wary of people like this because looking for signs and miraculous wonders is proof. They want something tangible they can see, touch or, or feel. They have no relationship, no understanding, no wisdom. They have no real desire to know who Jesus is. They just want proof. Whereas Jesus' disciples in the latter part of those verses, they know the Christ. They know who he is because they have accepted his teachings. They live in a real and fulfilling relationship with him. And that's the key difference. You've got Sadducees who just want proof that Jesus is who he says he is because they don't understand him. And you've got disciples who are really engaged, living their lives with him and through him, having a relationship with, them, with him. Their hearts and minds completely focused on who he is and are open towards his leading. So you would think, okay, disciples, fine. They should be in a place where they can fully trust in Christ, surely. No wavering, no turning. Yeah, in verse 15, Jesus still asks them, but whom say ye that I am? Jesus is still having to ask them, who do you say that I am? You profess to be my friend. You profess, profess to have this living, godly relationship. But who do you say that I am? And who is it that pipes up straight away? None other but Peter, the impulsive, self-assured, confident Peter, who answers immediately. Now, when Jesus hears this, he doesn't say, okay, you know, spot on answer, well done, what's next? It's not a quiz, it's not a question, this... You know, he turns his attention to Peter and he, he responds and he says in 17 to 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a statement from Christ himself. You know, this is, naturally, this is aimed at Peter. You know, one of Christ's disciples, and perhaps some might say one of his closest friends at the time, Christ was telling Peter that he would take Jesus' legacy on and into the world. And that from it, nations are going to be changed. Lives saved. That's a huge responsibility based on who Peter is or was. But equally, that's an amazing picture of grace and the Lord Jesus Christ himself based on who Peter was. I'm sure most of us know that Peter, his name very loosely, translates as rock. So when Christ gave him this new name, he already knew what he was asking of Peter. He already knew the many failings and struggles of Peter. But he also knew what Peter was capable of. And I wonder when, when we talk about Peter, I wonder, how, I wonder what people think of. I wonder if we think maybe people think Peter the unfaithful. Peter, a man of little faith. Let's not forget the fisherman, of course, Peter the fisherman, who showed incredible faith when he stepped out to the boat and walked on the water. Matthew 14, 28, 31 is the account. And it says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But, but, 
But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Granted, that's, that's quite an extreme example. You're not walking on the water and suddenly you're not. But you see where I'm coming from. When, when the chips are down, when they're against us, how faithful are we? Do we look to the Lord or we try and sort our problems out on our own? Some might say, Peter, the misguided, the impulsive disciple who hacked off the centurion's ear. Again, if you remember the account, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and he chopped, chopped off the ear of the centurion who was about to arrest Jesus, perhaps preparing for what he might have thought to be a great battle or, you know, the time's come, this is exactly what Christ said would happen and now I'm going to fight to the death. You see, he didn't consult with God before doing anything. He just did what he thought was right. And unfortunately for Peter, maybe the most f f sort of familiar or famous or popular account is Peter the betrayer. It's a real shame because Peter goes on to do such an incredible work. Indeed, he's, he's the foundation of the church, as, as we know. And yet, when you talk to people about Peter, it's Peter the betrayer. It was only a very short while after Jesus was arrested where he had well and truly nailed his colors to the mast, saying, you will not arrest my master and chop that ear off, that in an act of defense, that his courage failed him. And he declared loudly and convincingly, he didn't know who Jesus was. Let alone have anything to do with him, he didn't even want to be associated with him. Three times, three times, someone asked him if he was Jesus' disciple, in an act of self-preservation, possibly, Three times he denied Jesus, denied knowing who he was or had anything to do with him. See, some might say Peter's a true hero of the time. You know, he built a church, he established all these things, he's protecting Christ, he was living out his teachings. Some might say Peter just didn't get it, didn't really understand the purpose of his own direction, his purpose of his life. And in the end, at the end, if you read the accounts at the end, he just went back to his boats. When Christ died and, was, and sort of went through the resurrection and the rest of it, Peter was like, I'm done. Just went back to his old life. Went back to his boats and his nets and his fishing. But despite all of this, despite everything that Peter went through and did and all the things that he, he, we read about, God saw promise and opportunity in him. God saw something that nobody else did. What was God's response? Or what was Christ's response to everything Peter had done or gone through? We read it in verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what's that got to do with anything to do today? That was all the way back in history. Well, God hasn't changed. God's still active. God's still busy. God's still working. God's still calling us each and every day. In the same way, when God looks on, looks on us, he sees the weakness of our souls, the lowliness of our souls. He sees the, how sort of vulnerable we are in the world, if you will. He sees how we are swayed and distracted and move from one thing to another. He knows where we've come from. He knows where we're going, and he knows exactly where we are right now. But he also sees the potential, the possibilities, 
if we walk the right path, if we work with him instead of pushing against him, every single soul, no matter what background or trouble you've been through, no matter where you come from, no matter what baggage you bring, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, every single soul can be a rock on which Christ can build. If only we would hear his voice. If only we would accept his gift. If only we would follow his direction. Sounds simple. Oh, that's easy. We do that every Sunday. So what's stopping us moving forward in an even more powerful way? What's preventing us making that leap, taking that step, doing those things that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable? Oh, I can't be a rock for Christ to build on because I'm not good enough. See, when we're saved through the confession and the acceptance of Christ, when we go through the, that process of accepting, Lord into, uh, accepting Lord Jesus Christ into our lives, there is this weird sort of expectation that, right, the minute I say amen, everything's going to be different. It's going to be the whole flick and the switch thing. I'm going to be a different person in a different world, and then maybe we feel we look the same. We feel the same. And we don't do very much. We might get a bit disheartened or even frustrated. You know, why don't I feel different? We might start thinking, when are things going to change? How am I supposed to live my life now if I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah, let's not miss the point. Let's not do a Peter. Let's, let's remember, as saved by grace Christians, it's God who changes who we are. It's not for us to say, right, I'm going to do all these things straight away because I'm a new Christian. I can remember way back when I didn't really understand what I was doing at the time. I sort of made a profession of faith and became a Christian through a university group. And I remember the day after, I was like, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take on the world. I'm going to do everything a Christian should be doing. I ended up doing nothing and getting a bit confused and befuzzled and not really sure where, where I was going in life. Because you, you want to be that person, but you've got to allow God to shape you. You've got to allow Christ to lead you. You've got to allow God to be a part of your life. One way or another, if we try and do things on our own, it might work for a little while, absolutely. You might sort of start doing new ministries for a little while, but unless you're doing it in Christ's strength, and unless you're doing it with God's leading, it'll waver, and it'll come down, and we'll start to get a bit frustrated and a bit fed up, and eventually we'll just fall back into exactly what we were doing before. Oh, this isn't working. I'm not going to bother. Right, what do I do now? Exactly what we were doing before. Now, there's nothing new. Peter suffered the same misgivings, the same doubts. And Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. He appeared to his disciples several times afterwards. And they, you know, they all saw him, and they were very effective and, and witnesses to the truth of his, his resurrection. And they understood, and yet, and yet it still seems Peter doesn't recognize his purpose or his plan, the thing that God's laid in his path. Even after hearing everything that Jesus had taught, let's not forget he witnessed this with his own eyes. He saw everything that went on. Even after all of that, seeing his resurrection and all that came with it, Peter just simply left and went back to his old life because he didn't know the plan, didn't recognize the purpose. In John 21, we read how even though Jesus had appeared and faith had been restored, his disciples are simply doing what they always did. Not following what they've been taught, not leading the, leading the way, if you like, but going back to their own jobs, forsaking anything else. John 21, the first three verses. 
After these things, Jesus shewed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise shewed he himself. They were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. I'm just going to pause there just for a second. Put yourself in this position. You've spent the best part of your life up until this point following Christ, hearing his teaching, understanding his words, trying to do his will and purpose. You've seen him fulfill the promise. He's been crucified. He's exactly to the letter that he said he was going to be crucified. You've seen the miracle, frankly, the incredible miracle of his resurrection, exactly as he's promised. Now what are you going to do? Because Peter and the rest of the disciples, their approach is in verse 3 of that passage, Sweet Simon Peter says to them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. In other words, I'm going to do pretty much exactly what I always used to do before Christ was ever a thing. Before Jesus ever came into my life, I'm just going to go back and do that now. Because it's all over, it's all done. Everything he said, everything he's, he talked about, it's all, it's all done. Let's not forget, as well, Peter had previously denied having any association with Jesus three times. And if you read the account in Luke, the last time, Christ looked directly at him. He must have been living with all this guilt, all this turmoil, ever since. And now here he was, face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. The very man he denied, sitting among them. Among the very disciples who, as far as we know, at least hadn't denied him in the same way. So what does Christ do? Does Christ say, you let me down. You put me to one side. You pretty much put me on the cross because you didn't stand up for me. He doesn't say anything like that. He doesn't go to any root of anger or frustration or hatred. There's no rebuke. There's no criticism. There's no remorse. It's just a challenge. Back in John 21, 15, 17, his challenge comes and says, so when they are dying, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Now Peter was grieved because he said unto him a third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. I wonder how long it took for the, the penny to drop, if you will. Three times, three times, Christ asked the same question of Peter. I wonder if at any point Peter thought it was three times. I denied you. I wonder if he realized that when it affected him most of all, when he was in the line of fire, it was three times he denied having any association with Jesus at all. Yet the charge, if you will, is clear. There's no rebuke. There's no anger. There's no justice, if you like. There's no hatred. It's simply confess what you did was wrong. Love the Lord Jesus with all your soul. Go, feed the flock, the followers, those who will be sent to the far parts of the world in this particular instance. Tell them who I am, what I've done, what I stand for, where I came from. You know, Peter, in the position he was in, 
the conviction that he carried, the love that he had for the Lord, could do no more than follow the path set before him. I can't be a rock for Christ on because I'm not good enough. I can't be a rock for Christ to build on because I'm not strong enough. I don't know enough. Forgive me. I don't know enough. That seems to be the, the go-to. Oh, I, I, I don't know enough about the Bible to do anything like that. Oh, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do this. You know, to do a work with Christ, we don't need to know every chapter and verse of every page and everything that happened across the course of history throughout all the pages of the Bible. We don't need to know that. Christ doesn't send people out into the world to do work without equipping us. God won't send preachers into the world without the ability to speak and understand. God won't, send, you know, won't appoint deacons to a church without providing guidance and discernment. God doesn't task those with only a tiny amount of patience to do Sunday schools. You know, God simply provides the tools to do the job. We are tasked to do. We just simply need to trust that Christ wholeheartedly understands us, shows us the love and compassion that he has for us, and helps us to walk the path that he set before us. We don't have to do anything on our own. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to know enough. We just need to trust in the Lord. Of course, life isn't about having an easy ride. It's not just saying, okay, do you know what? Don't take it to the extreme. Do you know what? Christ is going to sort all this out for me. I'll just, I'll just wait. I'll just wait until I've been given a sign or I'll just wait and it'll all fall into place. That's not how it works. You know, we, we understand that life throws curveballs all the time. But the rewards far outweigh the work we put in. I can't remember the context. Um, it's probably climbing a mountain or something ridiculous. But somebody once said to me, um, the reward you get out of something is directly proportionate the amount of efforts you put in. So maybe, okay, in certain, certain, certain cases. But we already have our rewards in Christ. We don't need to achieve anything. We don't need to set out to actually hit a goal or accomplish something. We don't need to do anything other than accept who he is, invite him into our lives, and walk with him. We just need to recognize the work we've been tasked with. We should work to the task out of respect, out of love, out of, not out of obligation or we feel we should or because I'm a Christian I need to do this. Let's do it to honour the Lord. Let's do it to show the Lord how much he means to us. You might feel, mm, yeah, but that's, that's not where I am. I, I, I don't do teaching. I can't stand up. I can't stand at the front. I'm not really very good with children. I'm not, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And you might look at the world and you might say, well, it's all gone to pot anyway. It's all going to descend into chaos. Absolutely right. You, you, you don't need me to say that. Just turn the telly on <laughs> next, you know, next time you get back. The world is in chaos. It's already there. But isn't that motivation enough just to tell somebody, someone you work with, whatever environment you're in, whatever situation you're in, just tell people why you're different, why you're walking with the Lord, why you've got this glow about you, why you've got this aura of peace around you. Peter, the ill-disciplined, unfaithful betrayer of Christ. What an incredible work he did for the Lord eventually. What an amazing man he was. He was in such a difficult, a confusing place. He was, God lifted him from that position. He lifted him out to do a work. He wasn't prepared for it. He probably didn't even know what he was doing. 
probably didn't understand why he had to do it, because he was Peter. But he did the one thing that really, really mattered. He grew in his understanding of the Lord. He grew in his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He accepted where he was, he repented, and he embraced everything that Christ was and is. And he moved forward with it. He just simply went, you lead the way, I shall follow. Instead of pushing back on everything, saying, I can do it better my way, I know better, I'm going to live my life like this, he just followed the Lord Jesus. Peter accepted that he needed to be nourished properly, of course, and by that we understand that to be, we need to know, you know, need to understand enough. We need to know what we're talking about. Not talking about cover to cover of the Bible, not talking about every word and every phrase, just enough to be able to do what we're asked to do, to be able to respond correctly when somebody says why or how or when or whatever that might be. Perhaps more, most importantly of all, Peter grew to understand the end. He saw that the sting of death had been overcome and, and taken away. He understood that although Christ had died and ascended, he was still living in him. He was still directing him. He was still guiding him. He was still leading him. Peter grew to depend on this and harness this spiritual power, if you will, of understanding to live out the work he was called to do. Again, there is no difference in Peter than there is to us today. We are in exactly the same position. We do exactly the same things. We fall short of where we're supposed to be. We go against our leading sometimes. We walk off the path we're meant to be on. We do all these things. But still, Christ directs our paths, directs our, our, our walk. God knows where we're at. God knows where we're going. God knows where we've been. God knows what the future holds. Sometimes people like, don't like that. Don't like to be told somebody else is in control of your life. God isn't telling you, this is what you have to do, otherwise I'm going to strike you down. God is telling you, this is the best possible outcome for you. And if you allow me to lead you, you're going to have a fulfilling and happy and contented and joyous life. And it's going to be a lot better off going down that path than it is going down the path you think is right. So I can't be a rock for Christ to build on because I'm not good enough. Can't be a rock for Christ to build on because I don't know enough. Finally then, I can't be a rock for Christ to build on because I'm not strong enough. You know, I think sometimes... This is, this is quite a popular one. Oh, oh I, can't, oh, I can't do Sunday school. can't be dealing with those kids. You know, I can't do youth ministries. I'm not, I'm not big and brave enough to that. I haven't got the energy for it. Understand this. God has a plan, has a purpose for every single individual situation and circumstance we see in the world today, whoever we are and wherever we're from. We might not like what that plan is, we may not believe it's something we can achieve or something we can do. We might even decide that there's no way you're going down that road because I've got a fair idea of how it's going to turn out. It's very often a lot harder just to simply accept that God knows. God understands and God leads. To accept that his plan will never, ever, ever give us anything we can't handle. Ever will never leave us on our own and will always give us opportunities to grow and draw closer to him. God isn't a God of, of disruption. He's not a God of, of pain and angst. He's not, he didn't create us and put us into this world and say, off you go then, crack on. 
Let's, let's see you trip up, let's see you fall over, let's see you stumble, let's see you struggle. He said, I love this creation so much. I love this child so much. I love this person I've created so much. This is their direction. This is their life. This is their plan. This is going to be amazing if only they let me in. You might think, yeah, that's all good, but I don't really want to work in the church. Like I say, I'm not called to speak. I'm not called to lead. You might well be right. Absolutely might well be right. But everyone, for the most part, everyone's got some sort of interest or, or hobby or, or something that floats about, something they're really into. And usually, give or take, that usually has sort of a community of people around it, other people with similar interests. Simply using that one opportunity just to reach that one individual who may not have heard of Christ ever, or maybe wondering and looking and thinking what on earth is going on, or something they don't quite understand. It might just be the thing that God has placed you in that specific position to do. Often we find ourselves with the perfect opportunity that we do exactly what Peter did, and we run from it. We walk away from it. We let the Lord down by doing the exact same opposite of what it is we're supposed to do. You can hear this today, and you can think, mm, that's nice. And you can put it back in a box until next Sunday and just go back to what you were doing, go back to your old life, go back to your, whatever it was doing before you arrived. You know, that's not going to change a thing. And then, because nothing's changing, we might get a little bit frustrated, even though we're not doing anything about it. We might even lose the desire to walk with the Lord altogether because nothing's happening, nothing's changing, even though we're not really doing anything about it. You might stop blaming him for the fact that you're not doing anything, even though we don't do anything about it. We can hear this today. We can completely get it. Yep, I see where you're coming from. I get the message. Yeah, I I hear you. You know, I understand the tribulations of Peter and all that he went through. Understanding something is not really going to change anything. You know, I understand that a plane going really, really fast on a runway at some point is going to go up into the air. I don't understand why or how or I just... Trust that it's going to take me wherever it is I need to go. It's not until you start applying this. It's not until you actually stand up and say, you know what, Lord, you've called me into this particular situation, this particular scenario. Help me. Guide me. Use me. Whatever phrase you want to use. Do something with me. See, together, collectively, we can, we can do this. We can walk the life that we're called to walk collectively as a unit. We can be a rock for Christ to build on because... We don't need to be good enough. We can be a rock for Christ to build on because we don't need to know enough. We can be a rock for Christ to build on because we don't need to be strong enough. Peter, in the position he was in, the conviction he carried, the love that he had for the Lord Jesus Christ could do no more than simply follow the path set before him. If we truly love the Lord with all our very being, as we should, if we have a true and living relationship with him, as we should, if we are convicted when we fall, as we should be, we don't need to be good enough. We can be whoever God created us to be and simply follow the path that he set before us. Simply listening, acting on what we hear from the Lord will allow him to shape who we are. We'll allow him to provide the strength that we needed. We'll allow us to show Christ boldly in this world when we need to, where we need to, and how we're supposed to. We'll allow us to live our lives in the way it was supposed to be. 
You can sit there this, this morning, and like I say, you can, you can put that in the box, and you can stick it in the cupboard. And absolutely, it would be lovely to see you next week, and it would be fantastic. But nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to alter. We're not going to move forward unless we move forward. There's a phrase, um, secular world, in, in work with me, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards, which is slightly odd when you think about it. But if you're not moving forward with the Lord, what are you doing? Because because Christ didn't come into the world to say, "I'll save oh, you. Yeah, you're saved. You're saved by grace, Christian." That's it. That wasn't the plan. Christ came into the world to say, "I'm saving you because God's got this plan for you. I'm saving you because this is the path you're supposed to follow. I'm saving you because you are capable of doing amazing things, incredible things for the Lord. If only you'll let Him into your life." Finally, I was trying to find something that summed all this up in this grand sort of speech, but I just came across James, book of James. James 1, verse 22, sums it all up. And this is not my words, this is the words from Christ, or from the words from God. James 1, 22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You might see, that's a bit cutting, that's a bit harsh. If you're not doing anything with it, you're kind of deceiving the reason for being here. If our foundation is in Christ... If we are a rock for him to build on, what, I wonder, are we willing to allow him to build? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for who you are, what you do, and how you shape our lives. Help us, Lord, to be open to that, to be receiving of that, and to be thankful for that. Help us, I pray, to walk forward with you and not to be constantly pushing back against you. Lord, there's enough going on in in this world outside these doors to help to, for us to know and to realize that it's chaos. It's, it's this darkness out there. There's no, there's no soul out there that's willing to help. There's nobody that wants to do the right thing. There's nobody that, other than you that can get us through the situations we're in. Help us to realize that, yes, when life throws us curveballs, we're not on our own. We're not standing by ourselves, but we have you by our side. May we draw on your strength and draw on your courage and draw on all that you are to get us through our situations. So go before us this week, I pray, and help us to remember these things and to try in our own small way and apply them to our own situations. In Jesus' name I ask and to his glory I pray. Amen. Should we stand and sing our hymn? Can't see what that is. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, is it?
pray, close our service in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can look forward to that day. That once we've accepted you as our personal Savior and we have that relationship with you, we can look forward to knowing that when all's done, when all is complete, we can stand with you in, in heaven. And it's only through your blood that we can achieve this. Help us, Lord, I pray, to understand that we are aiming for that goal, but ultimately we have things to do before we get there. We have a plan to fulfill. We have a walk to follow. Guide us, I pray, and help us to, to accept this and to know this and to walk with you and not push against you. So bless the remainder of our time until we meet again this evening and, and stand before you again. Amen.